Welcome to Good Money Habits. This is episode five and my name is Julia Shortinghouse. Today we're going to be talking all about debt and in particular talking specifically about credit cards and mortgages. Now I believe this is a really important area to build up your financial education and knowledge on and find out some good tips on how to start to tame what I call the credit card monster. Today's gonna be a little bit more simple and practical um, in my approach, but sometimes the simplest things can have the biggest impact and be the most effective, even though they might seem deceptively simple. I'm also gonna be talking about the importance of delayed gratification today. Money management is not just about dollars and cents. It's also about emotions. There can be an awful lot of guilt for people around money, but there doesn't necessarily need to be. So let's talk about how we can turn that around today. As always, it's important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore might not be appropriate. So let me jump in today and begin with explaining a couple of bits of jargon that I think are important to understand. When I think about debts or loans, I think of them in two different categories. So one is what we call deductible debt and the other is non-deductible debt. So what does that mean? Let's start with an example of deductible debt. The most common one we typically see would be somebody that has a loan uh, against an investment property or someone who takes out a loan for an investment property. Where the primary purpose of the loan is investment, the interest you pay on the loan will generally be deductible to you, making it more tax efficient than non-deductible debt. So to explain that further and taking that investment property example, any income you receive from rent um, that your tenant pays you is added to your taxable income, but then you also get to deduct the interest you've paid on the loan over that financial year. On the ATO website, there's a really good example of how that works in action, so I'd recommend going to that site to have a look. But the term deduct deductible um, debt is because of the tax deductibility of the interest, that's where the, the actual term comes from. And it's therefore more tax efficient than non-deductible debt. So let's then talk about the opposite. What's a non-deductible debt? Well, let's take the classic example of a credit card. The interest you pay on a credit card is not tax deductible because you pay for that interest with after-tax money and therefore it's not as efficient. We've spoken about compound interest a number of times in this series now and if you don't pay off the balance of your credit card in full each month or indeed you only pay the minimum amount required, this is an excellent example of where compound interest is your foe big time. Back in 2017, the Australian regulator called ASIC, which is the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, published a report on credit card lending in Australia. And it quite frighteningly showed that there were almost 550,000 people in arrears on their credit cards, an additional 930,000 people that had persistent credit debt, and an additional 435,000 people that repeatedly just paid small amounts on their credit cards. It also highlighted that consumers that carried balances on high interest rate cards could have saved more than $621 million in interest in the 2016-17 financial year if they'd carried their balance on a card with a lower interest rate. Now, this research prompted a report by ASIC in 2018 that outlined their expectations to product 
providers for where improvements and changes were needed to protect the consumer. So if this is a problem for you, you're clearly not alone. But at the end of the day, what happens from here and whether or not you change it is entirely up to you. So today I wanna to talk about how can we deal with some of the root causes and what are some of the tips and steps that you can put in place to change your money habits around credit cards. Because whilst the knowledge is important, the key to success is how you change your habits once you've made that genuine commitment to make a change. Always remember that good money management is a skill and as I've spoken about several times on this series, for most of us financial education wasn't taught that much at school nor really talked about growing up. In addition to that, we interact with money so differently these days to what we did when I was younger. Today it's all about tapping and paying and indeed for many of us growing up we watched our parents, our friends and our peers pay for lots of things with credit cards without the blink of an eye. And I wonder if as a result of that, we've somehow normalised credit card usage in Australia. For many younger Australians, their early experience with managing money is often a credit card. That was mine um, as well. And, and perhaps there was a sense of feeling grown up when you got your first credit card, a bit like getting your licence to drive. Now, my personal opinion is that I believe that where you give somebody a credit card where they've got very little or previous knowledge or skills with managing money, it's kind of like giving an L-plate driver a Formula One racing car to drive without a speeding limit. And it's no wonder that when younger people start out with credit cards and have a negative experience to begin with, they can naturally feel like they're just bad with money when they're actually not. They just haven't had the experiences and the opportunity to build up good skills to have to develop positive habits. Now, I thought it might be interesting to Google what comes up if you type in how can I get a credit card? And one of the first results that came up as I read through reassuringly told me that applying for a credit card is like a rite of passage in a grown up world. So I rest my case. The fact is you can apply for a credit card in Australia from the age of 18 if you earn a minimum amount of income which is roughly around $15,000 per annum. Now, late last year, I ran a money coaching se session for some uni students, and we got to, when we got to the section to talk about credit cards, the, the vast majority of them had uh, part-time jobs and they also had credit cards. Now, I asked them um, how many of them paid off their credit card in full each month before the interest and the fees fell due, and the response was way less than half. I also asked them how many felt they had a problem managing their credit card, and it was roughly half. And I then asked how many of them wished they had never applied for a credit card in the first place, and it was the majority. So why can credit cards be such a trap? Let's look at an example. Say you have $10,000 owing on a credit card with an interest rate of 18% and you only pay the minimum. If you do that, it would take 44 years to repay. Let me say that again. If you just pay the minimum, it will take you 44 years to repay and you'll fork out a whopping $26,332 in interest on that $10,000 credit card. That sounds like a pretty great deal for the bank to me, but a financial disaster for you. Once you understand how insidious credit card debt can be, you start to view it through a different lens. So let's talk about what we can do about it. 
Say you've done your budget and you've determined that you can afford to pay $350 a month off your credit card. Let's take that $10,000 balance again that I was speaking about earlier and you set up an automatic transfer in line with when you get paid. If you do that consistently, you'll have it paid off in just over three years and you'll pay $2,896 in interest. That's an interest saving of $23,436 than if you had only paid the minimum that the bank required. Both of those scenarios, I've assumed that there's no further spending and no cash advances taken out on that credit card. Now, if you only pay the minimum on your statement, I urge you to seriously consider taking action and doing something different. And further, if you don't pay off your credit card in full each month, I would seriously recommend that you consider cutting it up. In actual fact, my number one tip is if you feel you need a Visa or a MasterCard, that kind of thing for bill payments, go and get a debit card. It operates in the same way as a credit card for bill payments, except that you can only spend money that you actually have in your account, money that you have saved. There is no loan. Now, I appreciate cutting up a card might feel like a little bit of tough love, but just remind yourself of what it's gonna feel like when you're credit card debt free. So what can you do to pay off a credit card quicker? Start with the maths. Understand how much interest you can save and how quickly you can fully pay it off by paying more than the minimum required. On, on moneysmart.gov.au, there's a good credit card calculator. Go and have a look at that. Then once you've worked that out, set up that automatic payment and remember that to cement a new habit, it takes roughly 90 days, so stick with it. The other thing is do a bit of research. Consider switching to a low-rate, no-frills card, or if you can afford to pay it off quite quickly, an interest-free honeymoon option card might work for you. But find out what fees are applicable if you make a switch, and if you do this, remember to cancel and cut up your old card, and ideally, get some advice from a banker, from your mortgage broker, or your financial planner. Now, following the findings of the ASIC review, there are now recommendations that include a requirement for a set repayment period on credit cards, so that's a step in the right direction. The government is well aware of the risk to consumers in the economy and the overall health of our community if we don't take action on this one. So let me wrap up this section with five tips that I have for credit cards. As I've said, seriously consider getting a debit card rather than a credit card. If you do choose to have a credit card, always pay the outstanding amount in full before the interest rate period commences and set a reasonable credit card limit. Crunch the numbers on a low interest rate no frills card versus a higher interest rate card with point benefits. Also, check your credit card statement each month to check that all the charges are accurate. Double charges or overcharging is not uncommon. And then, here's the tough one. Each month, have the discipline to highlight any non-essential expenditure and understand where your money is going. Now, if you're feeling like the thought of repaying your credit card debt feels overwhelming and imp an impossible task, break it down. You know, I find thinking about a smaller set amount each month is easier to digest. And always remember how much interest you're gonna save, how quickly you're gonna pay it off, and how much better you're gonna feel. A good tip here is to keep coming back to those goals and objectives, thinking about what you value. So here's a, here's a couple of scenarios that I encourage you to have a think about in relation to this. So imagine you're gonna go for on a holiday. 
So in the first scenario, you decide to go on the holiday because you feel like you deserved it, you've been working really hard and you pay for it all on your credit card. You don't really have a plan for how you're gonna pay it, pay it back, but you feel you deserve this holiday. So you book it, you board the plane, you sit down in the chair and you ponder your holiday ahead. Stop and have a think about how you're feeling at that moment. Okay, here's a second scenario. You do your goals and objectives and you decide that going on a holiday is important for you. So you do your budget, you set up a plan and you save for that holiday. When you've saved the money, you book it, you board the plane, you sit down and you're thinking about your holiday ahead. How differently do you think you'll be feeling heading into that holiday? I share this because delayed gratification really does matter and it has such a big impact on how you feel around money and getting rid of guilt in relation to money. We live in a very fast moving debt fueled world in my view. And I wonder if we need to stop and ask ourselves, is this really the way we wanna live our lives? Another example of instant gratification that's a growing trend is that buy now, pay later products because because they're not technically a loan, they don't have the same strict criteria to set one up. So they're pretty or relatively easy to access, but let's work through a typical example. So you wanna buy a dress for $100 that you've been eyeing off, but you don't have the money today, but you decide to buy it now on a buy now, pay later basis, and you're committing to paying back that dress in four payments due every fortnight. Now there's no interest you have to pay, so that's a good thing, right? But Along the way, you have an unplanned, unexpected expense crop up and you miss a payment. So there's a $10 missed payment fee. You then get to the next week and you haven't quite got on top of things, so you miss another one, which is a $7 missed payment fee. And this snowballs and you end up maxing out on the late fees for a total of $68. So the total cost of the dress is now $168. So think about how you're feeling about that dress about now. The other thing is that people tend to think with these buy now, pay later, that because it's not a loan or a debt, that it can't affect your credit score. In actual fact, if you read the fine print, they reserve the right to perform credit checks and to report negative activity on your account to credit rating bureaus. And this could result in a black mark on your record, just like with any other source of credit. Now, I mentioned that when I was younger, my family ran a clothing store in Fremantle that I worked in. And back then we had a completely different option for people who couldn't afford to buy um, a piece of clothing straight away and it was called a lay-by. And I know lots of people listening to this will know what a lay-by is, but for those that don't, let me explain. When, you, when somebody bought something on a lay-by, what they would do is they would pay a small deposit. And in the case of our shop, we would wrap up whatever item that they wanted and we'd store it at the back of the shop for them. We had a little card with their name on and we tracked what they'd paid off. And then the customers would regularly pop in and pay small amounts, whatever they could afford, until it was fully paid off. When it was fully paid off, they got to take that item home. Now, I've actually got pretty strong memories of um, my, our customers who would do that, and just the pleasure they would get at picking up that item at the end and knowing that it was something that they'd really taken that time to um, think about carefully and, and to pay off. Now, for many of you listening, I get it that that might sound very old school and very old fashioned, but maybe that's exactly what we need to get back to. I gave you that holiday example of paying on credit versus saving for it. Think about the difference between buying the dress on a buy now, pay later, or buying on a lay-by option. 
So admittedly, lay-by is not readily available today, or I'm not that aware of many out there. Maybe it should be, it should come back again. But if you want to feel good about how you choose to spend your hard-earned money on discretionary items, I'd encourage you to pay for it off a debit card from money that you've saved um, and, and not put it onto credit. We often think about money as being about maths and numbers and finances, but actually, if you think about it, there's an awful lot of emotion tied up with money. And this is where the importance of the concept of delayed gratification that I talk about comes into this. So it's thinking about how you feel about money. All right, so let me move on. Let's have a chat about home loans. So your residential home loan is another example of non-deductible debt. The interest you pay on your mortgage is not a tax deductible expense for you. However, one advantage of having a mortgage or having a residential property is when you sell it, if you sell it for more than what you paid it for and you trigger or you realise what's called a capital gain on that property, it's capital gains tax free. You don't pay tax on the gain in your property. And that's one way in, in and that's one way that the government incentivizes Australians to own their own home. And it's also why it makes sense to pay your mortgage off as quickly as possible because it's non-deductible debt. So if you're keen to pay your mortgage off faster, go through the same steps as the credit card repayments that we've already talked through just now. Remember, start out by working out the maths. Understand how much interest you can save and how quickly you can pay it off by paying more than that required minimum. Yep, there's a calculator on Money Smart, but for mortgages, I tend to use the ones that the banks have available, and I'd strongly encourage you to do this step because it's really powerful in giving you a proper understanding of the impact you can have by paying small additional amounts each month, which might not feel like much. However, this is where the power of compound interest as your friend kicks back in again, and I wanna give you an example. So. Take a $450,000 residential mortgage or home loan with a 3.5% interest rate with a term of 30 years. In other words, if you just pay what the bank requires you to pay, it'll take 30 years to pay it off. If you do that, your repayments would be roughly $2,021 a month and you'll pay interest of $277,452 over the 30-year life of that loan. If, however, through your budgeting, you identify that you're able to pay a bit more and you're able to pay $3,000 a month instead of 2021, that's an extra $979 a month. If you do that, you'll pay interest of $151,672, a saving of $125,780 in interest, not to be sneezed at, and you'll have the loan paid off in 17 years shaving 13 years off the time frame to pay your residential mortgage off. Now, whilst interest rates are at all time lows, I also think it's really prudent to work on the basis that interest rates will eventually go up. In the event that they do go up, if you're paying extra already and you've formed that habit, then you've probably already got it covered. Paying extra also helps with your credit score and provided you've got a redraw available, it does give you a safety net of access to money in an emergency if you need it. And coronavirus, I guess, has also highlighted that unexpected things can happen and for some people where they've had that, that would have been essential to see them through. 
Now, some people choose to use a mortgage offset instead of paying the extra of their mortgage directly. If you're thinking about that, I'd suggest to talk to your bank, mortgage broker or financial planner about what's going to suit you best because they can work really, really well for some people, but there are some things to consider. If you use your offset account also for bill paying or for everyday banking, it can be harder to keep track of and it does require, in my experience, more discipline. Now, generally I find that people know their personality with this one and how much willpower they're likely to have, so maybe follow your instincts on that one as well. So I hope that today's podcast has been practical. I have tried to keep it quite simple and deliberately so, because in, when we're talking about debt management, I actually believe it's the simple things, it's the basics that are deceptively powerful and really help people get this one under control. So as always, please stay safe. I look forward to catching up next time where we're going to be exploring the foundations of estate planning.